Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, can I put a bug in your ear? A discussion of bug and security programs. Next up, vulnerabilities aren't my cup of IoT. And finally, our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 98, recorded on September 27th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. These puns are Quali IoT LaBelle. With me, co-host Chad, caught my tag limit of UG bounties. Anderson, is that UGH or UG? Um, I'm definitely not hunting those, uh, you know, boots. <laughs> Okay, so it's UGH. It's definitely UGH as in ugh. Ugh. As in frustrating, as in mm. Mm. Okay, so I said it correctly? Oh, yeah. You did. Okay, cool. And last but not least, Tim, feeling so vulnerable, Helming. Oh, the game's all here. The gang's all here. And the game. That'll come up later, though. True. We do have uh, games. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. Dan held it down last month. It Dan sounds did like. awesome. Or last month, last week. What last is week. time? <laughs> really, Jeez. it's a meaningless construct. But really yes, time. Dan was. It's a great excellent. seasoning. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I miss you all, but I'm sure it was nice. A nice vacation for you both. You don't have to lie to us. <laughs> I was on We've the North Carolina here. coast on the beach, in a pool, but mostly working on other things. So I did miss you. I missed you both very, very mm. much. Mm. <laughs> uh, this, oh, the grunts uh, are back. <laughs> this was the dog's first trip to the uh, to an East Coast beach. Is that right? Oh, you're right. This is the first time she's been in the Atlantic. Um, what did she think? I mean, did she have particular uh, reactions? You know, Peanut doesn't prefer water, generally speaking. Um, as we solidified, as I tried to get her to swim in the pool... She's really good at swimming just because she wants to, to get out of the water. Just like she was very good at stand-up paddleboarding because she didn't want to be in the water. <laughs> very sad. So, I, you know, I've had a couple of different dogs that uh, felt different ways about water, not, not didn't love it in... Well, actually, one of them did love it and one of them didn't, but both of whom stepped from uh, a dry place onto lily pads thinking they were just plants that they could walk <laughs> on and with predictable results. I wish I had uh, a record of that. I almost said videotape, um, but that, that, that ages me a little bit. I wish I had a recording of that to watch. This week on Pet Follies with Breaking Badness. <laughs> we have a lot of spinoff podcasts, I will say. It's like, true. We should probably make some of them. That's true. Like the dark side of the moon podcast that I still want to know what's what's going on behind what's the moon. Behind the moon. What's behind the moon? That's a yeah, great. They're, keep, uh, they're keeping it pretty, pretty quiet. Pretty low key, back there. Oh my gosh. Well, let's let's talk about some security. So the first article I have titled this week is "Can I put a bug in your ear?" So an author on Haber, spelled H-A-B-R, assuming I'm saying that correctly. Um, who is known as Illusion of Chaos, which is a fantastic alias, um, shared their frustration with Apple's security bounty program. 
And we'll also be having a conversation on this topic about how bug bounties reflect company culture, the value of bug bounties, et cetera. And I really want to start with you, Chad, and I, I want you to tell our listeners about Illusion of Chaos's experience with security bounty programs. And I I assure you all, I'm going to use Illusion of Chaos as many times as I can on this podcast. That's a goal of mine. Deal. Um, <laughs> I my, my attack should have been Illusion of Chad, maybe. Um, oh, that would have been good. Yeah, got to go back, re-record. Um, <laughs> fix it in post. But uh, the thing is, chaos isn't really much of an illusion these days. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's a really good point. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so mm. they, uh, along with many others, have had some particular bad response times from Apple when it comes to Apple's bug bounty program. Um, this person waited over 120 days since reporting some of their bugs, um, which is, you know, uh, Google's. Uh, request is 90 days. 90 days is pretty common for responsible disclosure before you get to talk about your bug. You know, that's a pretty good turnaround time. Three months is a plenty of time for someone to get a patch out for most any bug um, out there in the world. So, um, you know, 120 plus days, no progress, no response from Apple um, on processing the bounty. So understandably, um, you know, they're looking to publish as soon as they can and collect the cash for many bug bounty hunters. It's not just a side gig anymore, but it's actually their main job. So delays in payment, um, particularly for big bugs with big payouts means a hit to their income, um, though that's not necessarily Apple or any other company's problem. Um, but still, it's nice to get a response. And so um, Illusion of Chaos shared in their blog post, you know, dozens of uh, or sorry, half a dozen or so other people that have similar complaints about response times from Apple. My, my, my. Um, wow. So what types of zero days did they discover out of curiosity, not to spoil the critical nature of the vulnerabilities as describing them as zero days? And really, how critical are they? Yeah, I guess now they're over 120 days. Um, but uh, all the bugs, that's stupid, sorry. Uh, all the bugs they discovered deal with... Um, leaking private data for the most part um, to applications that don't have to request the correct permission set. So, um, you know, typically you, uh, you install an application now and it requests like access to your contacts or your messages or whatever, right? Um, and so there's ways to circumvent that, um, you know, with different bugs and libraries. And this is something that Apple and Android and everybody tries to uh, keep from happening so that you kind of get a permission set and can, you know, that's a big part of security is that sandboxing. So um, in this, I can see how Apple may prioritize bugs coming in that are more serious um, security issues, um, particularly around iOS 15. There was like a, a lock screen issue where someone could just bypass it. Um, RCEs might be big, um, but we don't know what they have in the hopper and privacy violating bugs seem pretty huge, right? Like Apple bills itself now um, in this Tim Cook era as the you know big privacy company. If you want privacy, you go with Apple. It's their whole thing. You live in their little walled garden where they can keep you safe and all your data safe. Um, but these bugs, they can leak your Apple ID, email, contacts database, wireless network information, whole host of other things. So they're pretty critical. Um, at least I would consider them highly critical because a malicious application could just sit there and circumvent any permissions that uh, try and, you know, quarter off, say, your contacts database for use in, um, you know, marketing or selling to a fisher or something like that. Yeah, in fact, I found your leaked Apple ID. Wasn't it a certainty of chaos? Yeah. Is that you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's me. Yeah. 
That's that's me. Tis I. Certainty Chad. of Chad. It, Certainty of Chad. It was going to be illusion of Chad, but now he can't use that because everybody's guessing it. I'm actually going and I'm filling out as many um, profiles with certainty of Chad or illusion of Chad just so I can take the username. Ha! <laughs> I will give them my ransom for you is puns. You tell me puns and I'll give you your own username back. <laughs> Maybe the domain names are available. Ooh. Mm. If only there was a site. Never mind. Um, well, I'm, I'm curious then. Is there any kind of timeline of events? Because it seems like, as you said, this has been a fairly long process. So was that information provided by Illusion of Chaos? Um, so the earliest bugs they submitted are back in March of 2021. So they've uh, since requested status updates from Apple a number of times, sometimes with no response according to their timeline. So uh, that shows a little bit of a failing from whoever is managing comms over at Apple there. Um, and this really shows uh, how we know Apple operates as a company, though, right? Like, they tend not to collaborate well with outsiders. They hold things close to their chest. They keep quiet. Not a lot of leaking data outside. Um, I, I actually got to say I kind of respect that because I think it develops this interesting culture where everything's focused inward on their products and services, um, not so much on outside contributions, if that makes sense. Uh, but in this case, you've got to respond to people um, sooner if you don't want to lose this gift of the security community poking at your products and selling um, you know, the bugs to you instead of to some other uh, larger, perhaps state-sponsored program that would pay them a lot more money. Um, you know, if they don't get a response time from you, uh, it may be in their interest then to go and sell those elsewhere. So, um, and the whole point of a bug bounty program is to bring those in and make users more secure. On that note too, just more generally speaking, I was curious what your thoughts and perspective were on bug bounty and security programs. Oh, yeah, I think they're fantastic. You know, we need ways to get these high profile bugs to manufacturers and developers that can be rapidly fixed. Um, you know, that third party gray market for high profile bu bugs is just massive and constantly growing. And there's so much money um, involved in this uh, in this game at this point. And, um, you know, more and more people are getting involved and in making it their full time career, I guess, to uh, hunt for bugs and to submit to these programs. Indeed. And what are some examples or when have you seen these programs be used as an effective tool and when have you seen them fall on your fall on your face specifically fall on their face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um so the the ones that i think people are um most into you know are the ones that have good communication and high payments um, that's what it comes down to for these companies. If you pay well and interact quickly with these bug bounty hunters, they're going to spend time poking at your platform and finding you bugs. Um, it's like with any sort of, uh, money generation, you know, you're looking for that reliable, that, um, steady standby that can come in. So, um, communication is also key because part of doing the, uh, bug research of any sort of security research is people typically want to get kind of known for their exploits and what they've worked on and what they've done. Um, so companies that I think, you know, are willing to publish to their blog, publish a, you know, thank you, a congratulations to this, um, you know, uh, researcher that helped us find this. That's, that's fantastic. And as you know, you know, from your experience in marketing, Kelsey, a lot can come from that positive public imaging of a situation, you know, like, oh, this bug was huge. We responded very rapidly. We, you know, worked with this person there. We appreciate them. They're super smart. We paid them a ton of money. That's um, only going to go over well and be hugely impactful. See, you could go into press release writing there, Chad. You've got it down. Yeah. <laughs> There's <in>. the release. <laughs> yeah. My least favorite course in uh, college. 
<laughs> press release writing pr uh i did i took a pr course and that was when i quit the uh, journalism program yeah wow <laughs> <laughs> walked in walked in first day get this they uh take all of the major magazines new york times uh wapo all that stuff throw them down on the table and they take a stack of um, press releases off the wire and put those on the table and say, map these to articles inside and give me the percentage of articles that are just straight copies from press release. And uh, went through and it was like over 90 something percent by the time we were done uh, that it had all been tied together. And I was like, oh, so there's just really you don't get to do anything original in journalism. <laughs> uh, I think that's why you see so many people now busting out to do their own blogs and their publications and their own investigative uh, work is because um, you can really get tied into just regurgitating otherwise. Yeah. It's all copy pasta. That's yeah, what the exactly. world is it's, all, it's copy pasta all the way down. And the marinara gets worse. That took a turn. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> Let's get back to the article. That seems happier, right? Um, but Chad, I know you were, you're edging to talk about what a security program or a security program, but mostly a bug bounty program says about an organization's culture. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So I think, you know, having a bug bounty program, um, shows a company's willingness to think securely about their products. And I think it's a really good way to spot companies that probably don't have a full-time security staff um, and team is to check for the ones without bug bounty programs. Uh, there was a there was a great Twitter thread the other day. I forget who started on Infosec Twitter, but was talking about ways to tell that um, a security company isn't serious. And uh, one of them was to uh, ask what their full-time security staff looks like. And you'd be surprised how many security companies come back and say, you know, oh, we don't have research or we don't have a, you know, a SOC or whatever. So it's a great litmus test for how seriously security is taken within an organization um, to both that. And I think, you know, looking for bug bounty programs, if it's a software company and uh, they don't have a bug bounty program, I think that's huge. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And I mean, it, it seems really five years ago not to have a bug bounty program, right? I mean, we saw there was a period of time a few years back when it seemed like in a fairly short period of time, a bunch of the big companies jumped on the bandwagon with this. And so it feels like time travel backwards a little bit to have uh, this to have this going on over at um, over at the big fruit company. Yeah, well, you know, at least they have a they have a program. Um, I think it's kind of sad the response time because it i don't know apple's very good at their messaging normally i feel like this would be cake for them and a good way to probably um hire in some security people to work on their staff like there's been the the myth for a long time that apple's safer than uh, windows and i you know just can't get viruses and all this stuff and it was really because no one had their eyes trained on it but now with them it's such a percentage of the market and even with linux growing as a percentage of the um user market which is you know, something uh, was joked about forever and it's now slowly happening. Um, you have, you know, virus writers looking at uh, these alternative operating systems and whatnot for, um, you know, for instance, like there's a ransomware variant from Ryuk or sorry, Revil that is a Linux variant now. Uh, multiple of them have Linux variants now. There are OSX based dealers and, and all of these things. So um, I think with more... Uh, you know, of the bad guys training their eye on Apple products, um, you're probably going to see more of these high profile bugs come through. I um, mean, as people, you know, begin to 
take a look and really examine all their systems. Um, it, there's no reason that a printer nightmare type situation couldn't happen at Apple where some 10 year old library um, has a bug in it that is, uh, you know, game changing um, or just so easy to exploit and just never got noticed because no one was really looking at, um, you know, that from a research perspective. Very well said, both of you. And I think to put a cherry on top of this discussion, I think we're up for our hoodie rating system, which if you are not familiar, it's essentially just a zero to 10 score, 10 being very, very bad. Zero is fairly neutral, and it's a hoodie rating to play into the cliches, essentially, of how many defenders, obviously wearing hoodies, would it take to resolve this problem? So, Tim, I'm going to start with you now that you've heard Chad's in-depth analysis there. What would you rate this at? Well, there's really two things here, because there's the these vulnerabilities that were reported that are kind of at the cent center of this, and that has one kind of hoodie implication to it. Uh, collectively looking at those three things. And then there's the question of Apple's kind of lethargic response on this bounty. And what does that mean in the grander scheme of things? And how are they going to respond to, you know, the next one of these things that comes down the pike? So it's a twofer. And I don't know, I'll go for, uh, I'll go for seven hoodies. Um, the privacy bugs themselves, which uh, do, do not seem to be patched yet, um, are something that could easily be taken advantage of on a fairly widespread basis from the standpoint that uh, getting, those, getting those leaked credentials would be of value to uh, malevolent actors. And I kind of want to believe that um, with other higher severity bugs. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the bad good news here is that the reason Apple hasn't responded is because they're fixing even worse stuff, which is scary to contemplate. But anyway, uh, take it all together. I'm at seven hoodies. Seven hoodies. All right, Chad, on to you. You know, I'm going to go just with rating on the bugs themselves. Um, and after looking over the four or so that um, they have and how easy they are to kind of circumvent some things and dump. PII, um, you know, I would say, given not knowing much about uh, the app store and if it would be checking for these, you know, library calls, like if they have something now to spot this and spot a malicious app, um, I would say that they're eight out of 10. Kind of scary that, um, you know, a, a app that is known to circumvent um, user land in the past to gather uh, data that they aren't allowed to have on <laughs> Facebook uh, and others that um, I... I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, these little malicious bits crop up in there so they could get a dump of people's contacts or something. Um, but yeah, again, I'd rate it 8 out of 10 just because I don't know if the App Store has something to look for, um, like a set of library calls that would uh, reveal like that a new version of an app uploaded is doing uh, this sort of badness. Um, yeah. You know, there's a follow on to this too, which uh, I hadn't thought about till just now, but I believe, maybe I'm wrong, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I believe it's not trivial to change your Apple ID. So if your Apple ID got leaked, you're going to you're gonna go through some stuff um, changing your Apple ID. So maybe I'm wrong. Hopefully I'm wrong. Either That's a nice you know? way to say it. Uh, no, I think you're right. I can confirm. 
Yeah, I, you are correct. Because I, in the past, long time ago, accidentally reused um, one for a corporate Apple ID. And that was a poor, poor idea. So um, ended up just dumping it and making a new ID. Certainty of Chad. Certainty of Chad. At <laughs> Apple.com. What is that voice? Hmm. <laughs> it's like a mischievous Chad. Oh, well, on to the next article for the day, which is vulnerabilities aren't my cup of IoT. So a high severity vulnerability could cause system crashes, knocking out sensors, medical equipment, and more. And so, of course, we're going to explain this. We're going to explore this vulnerability. So, Tim, can you spill the tea, as the kids say? Um, Maybe they don't by the time that I know that. On IoT. Um, this is one of many acronyms that makes up security alphabet soup. Well, of course, uh, it stands for Internet of Shite. Can I say that? No, I'm kidding. That's kind of surprising since the last letter is T. Yes, I'm jesting. Uh, Internet of Things. And I am very confident that all of our listeners know that much. But they're is there are some subtleties that are a little less obvious. And so even within the community as to what devices count as IoT. And so there's things that are in the gray zone, like think about ATMs, which have a full-on operating system. It's usually Windows, very distressingly often Windows XP still. Uh, With that computer, with a familiar OS inside that you could connect to with a keyboard and mouse or with a rat, if you have one of those available, and they've got the right vulnerabilities. Um, and then if we look at like the industrial control space, so you think about factories or uh, utilities and stuff like that, people who are close to those technologies uh, make a distinction between those things and IoT. Uh, but in general, and, and there's a little bit of contention about that because there are some that aren't necessarily specifically in the ICS community who think all that stuff is IoT and people in that community say, no, it's it's not really. But In general, I think there is a lot of agreement about kind of the main definition of IoT, which is your webcams, your home quote-unquote security and automation devices, and basically anything that's called smart these days. And you've got medical devices and other little gizmos that are computers, but they're not shaped like computers. Not shaped like computers. Although some Internet of Things that are not used for computers could be very cute in a little computer form, I think. It's actually a a fine idea. And if they did, you know, if they shaped them like computers, then people might treat them a little more like computers and be a bit more careful about the security of them. That's true. Win-win. Some cuteness and some security wrapped into one adorable tiny computer. So researchers at Guardara used their technology to find a zero-day vuln in an open-source platform known as NanoMQ. So for the sake of our listeners, what is NanoMQ and how are their products typically used? Well, so as you can imagine, we've got all these IoT devices out there and we need a way to talk to them and to hand over control of them at massive scale to evil actors. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Anyway, so NanoMQ, which sort of stands for Nano Message Queue, although if you follow what they're doing in there, they sort of claim that the parent protocol for this 
the MQ doesn't actually really stand for anything. But anyway, this thing monitors IoT devices in real time, and then it acts as a message broker to deliver alerts that non-nominal activity has been detected. So uh, as you might imagine, this tool and others like it are used to monitor medical devices and the humans that those devices are attached to, as well as vehicle systems, city automation systems, that kind of thing. So nothing too critical. Oh, no, just minor stuff. I love how you described people being attached to the medical devices. Well, you know, NanoMQ doesn't operate directly on the people, so you just have to think of the people as the appendage on the uh, device that NanoMQ is talking to. Well said. That makes more sense. <laughs> well, what is this vulnerability, and how could an attacker exploit it? Just as an aside, by the way, I'm, I'm just going to, go on and say that increasingly, I think that we are just appendages on, well, really on the Matrix. And <laughs> we'll have to see the new Matrix movie to, to learn more about how that's working. But anyway, that was just a depressing aside. So uh, <laughs> as is so often true with these things, Kelsey, it has to do with memory management. So we've all heard of buffer overflows and specific kinds like heap up, uh, or stack overflows. And all of those are where you get an shall we say, undesigned condition in memory when something sent to the system differs from what's expected. So specifically here, and I'm going to quote, boy, talk about um, going out on a limb in pronunciation here, quoting Zolt Imre from Guardara. Hope we got that right. When the MQTT packet length is tampered with and is lower than expected, a memcopy operation receives a size value that makes the source buffer location point to or into an unallocated memory area and this crashes the system so all these different kinds of vulnerabilities to do with uh with memory are uh, have some traits in common that are kind of like that where once you're once you're accessing or pointing to uh unintended areas of memory different kinds of things that can have can happen now notice that it didn't say that this allows remote code execution or rce so if an attacker is exploiting this bomb they can't take over the system. It's really more of a denial of service than a hijacking. Tim, all that was running through my mind when you said going out on a limb is you're an appendage going out on an appendage. Wow. Yeah. It's appendageception. Appendage. Also, perhaps whatever we're all plugged into is what's behind the moon. I think it all ties in. I think we're onto something here. Wow. Look over your oh, shoulders. Man. Yeah. I, I think we... Um, I think we're going to be on the History Channel pretty soon with a, a shocking uh, four-part series about all this. Chad's going to have to change his Apple ID again in case it is actually leaked. That's a good point. To remain safe through this entire journey. See, he's he's muted himself already. He's learned of the the craziness of our knowledge. Um, These uh, the new newest uh, domain tool swag hats do have the foil uh, lining inside them. Uh, by the way, we we just went ahead and included that. I've always thought that'd be a funny thing to include, you know, as a giveaway at a show. Is you know, when you have kids, you make balloon hats. Like, what if you paid somebody to make professional aluminum hats out of the tin foil? You I think could that's be like, an extremely good idea. It'd be very cute. But I feel like yep. the um, aluminum cuts could be very painful. Yeah, so. not if it's foil. That's, that's pretty. That's true. It's pretty, uh, pretty harmless stuff. There is a security conference. It's pretty small, but there's a security conference in uh, Oslo called Paranoia. 
So oh. it would be especially perfect for that. At least there used to be. I don't know if they're still doing it, but it was a fun little like one day conference oh. back in the day. That's pretty awesome. Well, getting back to this vulnerability, um, because this will be another podcast spinoff of our conspiracy theories, um, or my conspiracy theories. I don't want to say either of you subscribe to that. I wouldn't put you in that position. Um, but what is the current state of this vuln, and have there been any statements from NanoMQ? Right. So the good news is the developer of NanoMQ has issued patches for this. So anyone using these devices that are vulnerable to this needs to check with their vendor to acquire and install those patches. However, and uh, this isn't really mentioned in the articles that I've seen uh, about this, but patching in the IoT world is complicated. So for one thing, uh, it's not unheard of for patches to have unexpected and unintended negative consequences. And that can, that can be true for any kind of a patch, a patch for your desktop computer or, or your phone or whatever. But on those things, at least there are humans that kind of notice that weird stuff is happening and um, patches can be rolled back and so forth. With IoT devices, that can be less obvious. And so a patch that doesn't go the right way can be dangerous. And you're also looking at this huge scale, right? Because there are lots and lots of devices that need the update. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these patches for Nano MQ. They hopefully they're they're totally fine. But I'm saying that the that patch immediately, which we all want to kind of think of as a um, you know a, a best practice, is not without its complications. And uh, just as an aside, like some operators of automated equipment have policies where they only will patch on a specific schedule. And that schedule is sometimes not very often, like six or 12 months. So um, that can be true of a lot of those not quite IoT things like the ICS world, the industrial control systems. But uh, but it it's not always as simple as, okay, there's the patch, let's deploy it out to the devices, cool, we're done. Sounds to me like Avril Lavigne was ahead of her time. I think that song Complicated was actually about IoT. Well, my final question for you, Tim, here before we get into the hoodie rating is taking a step back out of the mosh pit into the balcony, are there any trends and vulnerabilities or attacks related to the internet of beep? That's a huge step backwards from the mosh pit all the way up into the balcony. That sounds like, uh, well, there used to be a cartoon of Plastic Man. He probably could have done that. <laughs> anyway... The trend is up and to the right, which, you know, in business, usually that seems like it's a good thing. It's not a great thing here, um, but it is upward on both sides of the equation, meaning um, there are more and more devices that are just out there in circulation. And naturally, that means there are going to be more vulnerabilities. And it's not necessarily because vendors are getting worse. It's just because of the volume. The more new things there are out there, a certain percentage of them are just going to have vulns. Um, and then there's also an uptick in, on the other side of the equation of people exploiting these things. And so Kaspersky uh, has some really kind of insane numbers about this. They are claiming that they've seen 1.5 billion, uh, that's with a B, attacks against IoT devices this year, like to date in 2021. And that seems inordinately high. And so I've got to think that what is making that number so big is that they're kind of counting how many devices are targeted. So you can, you know, if there's some vendor has 
150,000 devices out in the field and there's one attack against those, maybe that, maybe that racks up 150,000 in the numbers that Kaspersky's counting here. But any way that you slice it, um, there's no reason that criminals wouldn't be picking on these devices heavily as targets. They're, they're criminals. They're not nice people. And so, yeah, we're, we're going to keep seeing it going up. Unfortunate news <laughs> brought to you by reality. <laughs> it's yeah. true. I mean, we could stick our heads in the sand and, I don't know, do a podcast about the beach. Actually, that sounds like an excellent idea. <laughs> good exfoliating, too. Sure. Be good for our faces until <laughs> mm, we can't yeah. breathe. <laughs> Chad, after you've heard Tim's wonderful description here of what's gone on, what would you rate this at for our hoodie reading? Oh, geez. Uh, oh, geez. That sounded very Minnesota. Oh, geez. Yeah, don't you know? <laughs> don't you know? IoT is a bunch of garbage. Um, <laughs> like they say, the uh, the S in IoT stands for security, um, and there isn't one. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess since this is patched, maybe... You know, I'll say uh, it's patched, but IoT in general is a constant problem um, for, yeah, these devices out there. Seeing more and more attacks against them um, every year. Uh, and it's just a matter of time before there's another big bug and then, a you know, a blanket attack like we um, have seen with uh, botnets and whatnot in the past taking over a bunch of little devices. Anyways, um, that said... Let's go with 7 out of 10. And that's mostly elevated just by IoT being garbage in general. Garbage. A dumpster fire. In a world yes. of dumpster fire. <laughs> in a world. Or maybe it's just millions of little tiny dumpster fires. <laughs> we live in a dumpster fire society. Um, <laughs> I have an adorable desk toy of a dumpster fire on my desk. I've seen it. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. I don't know if that... I think this person... Because um, um, Infosec Sherpa initially published this on the tweeters. And I think whoever makes these like tiny versions, they also have a tiny like garbage bin also that they came out with because I'm on their email list now. And it's just really <laughs> I mean, big all things their, all made their tiny. Oriented, uh, yeah. Swag. Yeah. It's, um, but I don't think it's the intention of, say, like a dumpster fire. I think it's just this person makes a very tiny version of things that aren't typically looked at as cute, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> well, you know, like I think probably about 98% of four-year-old boys are obsessed with garbage trucks. So they they have a huge market there. If they, I mean, that seems pretty adjacent to the two things you've just described. So maybe that's how they're going to, how they're going to make it big. Well, and, you know, seven-year-old boys uh, become obsessed with fire. So uh, it, it goes... It's a short path. Yeah. It's a short path to the dumpster fire. It's true. <laughs> I think we've just unwound some important things here. <laughs> a short path littered with chocolate chip cookie crumbs. Yum. Yum, David. <laughs> Do either of you watch Shit's Creek, by the way? I want to reference it all the time, but I don't know if either of you have seen the show. I have seen... I've seen some episodes... It doesn't disappoint, but there are so many shows that, you know, contend for one's time. That's true. Chad? Nope, don't watch it. I've only been uh, up it. Uh, <laughs> With a paddle? 
<laughs> mm. Well, I feel like Chad, if you've you like Ted Lasso, which I know you do, I hear similar different. I mean, they're different. Don't get me wrong, and I haven't seen Ted Lasso to be fair. So this is coming from a slightly ignorant place. But I hear they're both pretty feel good. And so if if you like not to be an algorithm, but if you like <laughs> Ted Lasso, you might also be interested in Schitt's Creek. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. maybe maybe I'll look. Maybe I'll check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah. Um if not, you can give me endless flack on the show. <laughs> Which I know you will. <laughs> um well Tim, I don't think we've gotten your hoodie rating yet. What would you put this at? Five. Perfect. So moving on. <laughs> Sorry, I just <laughs> now I um, I'm doing a little bit what Chad did the first time around, which is I'm going to isolate out just this thing versus the broader dumpster fire. Uh, so in terms of the broader dumpster fire, I really kind of agree with with where Chad. I don't know. He said seven or eight or something like that. I think it's up there. But for this particular one. Um, it's patched and it's a denial of service rather than a remote code execution. So I'll put this, this specific one at a five. A five. Hmm. Okay. I, yeah, I'm impressed by all the dumpster fire references. I'm sure we'll discuss more dumpster fires here in the future. IoT hasn't come up. I want to get a. I, I want somebody to make a um, a dumpster that you can stick in your fireplace so oh. that you're just watching. A dumpster mm. fire while you sit there in your living room. I don't know why that's a good thing. Like maybe that's <laughs> terrible, but it's just it's kind of like an acknowledgement of where we are, and you yeah. have to embrace it, right? Or else you're just going to go crazy. <laughs> Is so it like a Yuletide? You're going to drink some Lagavulin while you watch the dumpster fire in your fire? Yeah, maybe a lot of Lagavulin, right? <laughs> yeah. Or I don't know. Maybe I think maybe it should be just slamming PBRs uh, while PBRs. You're watching the dumpster fire. <laughs> You'll be well hydrated. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to the delightfulness that is our two truths and a lie. I feel like we need we need some lulls, as the kids probably don't say anymore, in our day. So um, our game, Two Truths and a Lie, is not unlike the typical game of Two Truths and a Lie, but rather than talking about ourselves, we come up with an article, um, three articles to be exact, one of the co-hosts every week, and one of them is a lie, and that person will try to deceive their friends and colleagues and make them cry on a pre-recorded podcast and, and do it for points and, and do it glory. For points points glory and devastation um it's not a very the good shot in freud is huge around here uh, with this game <laughs> so i think this week chad is the sayer of lies and tim and i are here to judge him and mm -hmm. what he's chosen is that correct mm-hmm 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 <laughs> you two are that so sounds, hard to guilt. It sounds a, affirmatory to me. <laughs> Affirmative. All right, Chad, hit us with your articles. All right. Number one new malware being sold on dark web forums specifically steals gaming accounts. Number two Oathkeeper's private rocket chat hacked and messages leaked on web. And number three. Windows 11 beta testers find multiple critical bugs delaying release. There's a lot of uh, plausibility in in all of these. The stolen game, game accounts reminded me of a thing I learned from my son who's making money doing what they call recubs, 
willing, he is given the credentials of other players who let him log on as them to improve their standing in various games. So hmm. it's there's all kinds of ways to make money out there. Has he thought of uh, stealing those accounts and selling them online? Well, you know, I'm I'm <laughs> trying not to give him uh, too many ideas along those lines. We'll let him come to that organically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chad. So I'm I I'm gonna go with this. May sound surprising. I don't know if it does. I'm actually gonna go with the Windows 11 bugs being reported and delaying the release being the lie, even though it it seems like a a really likely thing. But all of these seem kind of likely. I don't know. Put me down for that one, for better or worse. I was thinking the same thing. Tim, I'm sitting here agreeing with you. I, I, yes, that one. Put me down for that one. Well, hot damn. <laughs> you both are good. Yay! <laughs> I'm glad because, you know, I have to use a Windows device for the emergency management stuff that I do. And um, I, I don't want to believe that it's going to be chock full of bones. I mean, it still might be. Oh, it will be. Yeah. What's really cool is Windows 11 comes, uh, I believe, with the Windows Linux subsystem pre-installed, which is like a whole other host of cross-platform vulnerabilities uh, to now deal with. So, oh my God, more vulnerable than ever before. Maybe not ever before. I mean, Windows 98 was pretty bad, but vulnerable or well, uh, but also when <laughs> Windows 98 may have been may have been worse, but also uh, hackers weren't as good back then. They weren't as good at like if you if you turned that thing loose today, it would be so much worse than it was 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, pe- people get better at these things. But uh, yeah, I mean, I said, oh, my God, because does that mean 11 is going to have the same uh, that same OMI bug? that um, Azure had? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't believe it will have the management interface bug. Um, however, they will, um, you know, crank it up to 11, as they say, and um, be able to run uh, Linux binaries as well. So uh, if you're a ransomware author and, you know, the uh, EDR on something blocks uh, your Windows binary, just throw the Linux one on there. Give that a try, you know? Well, I that makes me wonder if the EDR isn't going to block the Linux <laughs> the Linux ones anyway because it doesn't recognize them, and that's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. You mentioning Windows 98 just made me think, what year was it that Jennifer Aniston and Will, or Matt Perry, Matthew Perry, were on the, the Windows um, when they were selling it? But that was 95. Uh, the dev team? Were they on the- by the way, uh, shout out to uh, Infosec Twitter, uh, Aloria, um, who has the most wonderful collection of old Windows swag and ugly sweaters and hats. And she also has the similar things for America Online and I forget what else. It's really, it's just pretty great to uh, kind of scroll through her timeline. Oh, what a shout out. I am looking now. That is, oh, Yes. A pillow cover. Very nice. Very nice. Wow. That's pretty fantastic. I definitely recommend. And that's spelled A-L-O-R-I-A is their handle. Oh, my gosh. Correct. 
Um, there's also a t-shirt that's chock full with um, Nicolas Cage's face. Yeah, mm -hmm. the kids are memeing his face a lot these days. Mm, impressive. <laughs> oh, wow. The, yeah, I wow. I've got some stuff to look into after this podcast. <laughs> this is fantastic. Actually, she would probably be a really fun guest on this podcast, I'm guessing. She would. Aloria, if you're listening, we assume you are. You should come be on the podcast. And uh, Tom Hanks, uh, just give give her a nudge too, yeah. just in case. Thanks. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you guys for another... I want to thank you both for another great podcast. And we'll be back for another episode next week. So you're, you're stuck with us. We're back in our normal timing here. Yeah, we're getting close to triple digits. Chad, what were you planning to perform for our 100th episode? Um... Good question. An emergency I tracheotomy? Think... No, I hope not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Chad's going to do the entire episode in his best robotic voice. Sure, I can do that. Or maybe all of your responses have to be things that Clippy would say. It looks like you're trying to make a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks like you're having trouble infecting this Windows device. Have you tried the Windows subsystem for Linux? See, you're already there. You're already ready. <laughs> Well, thank you both so much per usual. Always a bright spot in my week to laugh with both of you. And listeners, we hope you enjoy. And we'll be back next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at DomainTools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>